Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we thank you once again for pressing the play button or asking that speaker device to play Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Certainly a pleasure to have you listening once again. Coming up on today's podcast, going to talk to Douglas Barraclow. He's the manager of creative and commercial sound production with the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys were purchased 30 years ago today by one Jerry Jones. And whether you love Jerry or hate Jerry, the one thing you can definitely say is the man is an influencer and a needle mover, both on and off the field for the Dallas Cowboys. And I'll also share how I got toasted on Twitter after tweeting that Jim Beheim should have not coached against Duke after being involved in a tragic accident that took someone's life. That'll all be coming up later on. While on the subject of college basketball coaches, Iowa coach Fran McCaffrey suspended after his tirade against the officials after their 20-point loss to Ohio State, where he dropped a little, you know, MF this and called them cheaters, etc. The school suspended him for two games. Interesting to note, those two games will be split among the assistants. Andrew Francis will be the head coach for the Rutgers game. And former UCF head basketball coach Kirk Spiral will coach the Hawkeyes against the Wisconsin Badgers. So here's hoping that uh, Coach Spiral can land a W uh, in the interim role there. On the pro coaching side, gotta give it up. Doc Rivers. During a timeout, Went to the uh, public address and made sure the fans gave and paid homage to one Dirk Nowitzki of the Dallas Mavericks who is retiring after the season. That is definitely a thumbs up move. And of course, Doc has proven his class many, many years, including his time here in Orlando coaching the Magic. And that's I'd like to see that kind of sportsmanship going on. Johnny Manziel kicked out of the Canadian Football League. (laughs) And now people are speculating, will he be in the AAF? Well, I think, first and foremost, that should be the farthest thing from happening. Although they have not disclosed why he violated whatever terms they came to in order for him to get permission to play in the league, the the kid just needs to get his, his act straight and his life straight, first and foremost, forget about football. And the breaking news today, being Thursday, the 28th of February, Bryce Harper, 13 years, $330 million signing with the Philadelphia Phillies. Head scratcher. A lot of it was thinking he was looking for 8 to 10 years. He got 13. What's going on there? Could this be that... The Phillies may have panicked since he's been talking to the Dodgers, had conversations with the San Francisco Giants, that they just opened up the vault and said, here you go, take whatever you want. I'm not so sure he's the guy you want to put it all on his shoulders to build around, but that's where we are, and Bryce Harper is much, much wealthier. And now joining us on the podcast is Douglas Barraclow. He is the manager of creative and commercial sound production 
with the Dallas Cowboys as we discuss the anniversary of Jerry Jones buying the team 30 years ago this week. Douglas, 30 years, boy, it seems that time has gone by very quickly. Yeah, especially since I got married. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's it is it's been it's been really quick. Um, the first few years were super quick because of all the winning, and then the you know ever since uh, you know you get to the occasional uh, playoff game and. Uh, not very far in the playoffs, but they've had, you know, a 13, a couple of 13 and three seasons, a 12 and four season. So, you know, it, so it hasn't been as fast recently, Yes, but, but definitely a quick 30 years overall. Yeah. So 30 years ago, Jerry did the unthinkable because he basically let go the, the, the holy trinity of Hall of Famers that formed the Dallas Cowboys into the dynasty they were, Tex Ram, Tom Landry, and Gil Brandt. So he didn't make it, make it easy on himself to start with. No, and the public perception, and it was my perception at the time, you know, is that he, he was just a heartless hatchet man. You know, and uh, although I didn't, you know, personally, I didn't have any issues with Jimmy Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, in fact, in the in the years in the year or two preceding Jerry buying the team, there had been articles in in the local paper, and you know, the reporters had picked uh, Tech Schramm's brain about you know, potential replacements or coaches in waiting. And, and Jimmy Johnson was at the top of Tex Schramm's list. So uh, for it to be Jimmy Johnson, in fact, uh, the year that Jerry Jones purchased the team, Bill Brandt had Jimmy Johnson as his guest in the Cowboys suite at the Super Bowl, hmm. whining and dining him. He wanted, he was courting Jimmy to be the defensive coordinator under Landry. And I think I've heard that even at that time, Jimmy knew that Jerry, uh, I guess guess it was known that the Cowboys were up for sale, and Jimmy knew that his buddy Jerry uh, was going to be in the hunt. And so Jimmy was, uh, he was there at the Super Bowl, uh, dealing with the current administration, uh, but he also knew that he might just end up being the head coach if, if his friend bought the team. And so that turned out to be the case, and as you mentioned, uh, they rebuilt things very quickly and had great success getting three Super Bowls in four seasons. Uh, what was the, the atmosphere like during that time? Well, it was I mean, it was really great. Um, I became of age, uh, I became an NFL fan in 1980 when the Cowboys, when Danny White took over, went to three NFC championship games. Uh, and, you know, so those were, by any, any other measure, uh, those were successful years. But when you're a little kid, you know, you think you should be winning the Super Bowl. And so those were huge letdowns. And so to finally in 92, for me to have 
uh, started freelancing with the Cowboys radio network that season and for it to go so well, it, it was great. And at the time I worked for the flagship radio station, uh, the, that station at the time was number one in, in Dallas. And so it was a music station. It was an FM stereo music station. So there were all kinds of new things going on with the station, with the Cowboys. And it was really exciting. And, uh, Lots of free cowboy swag was coming, <laughs> even to me, a part-time freelancer, you know. So uh, it was fun, and certainly the city was electric. And as as great as those three Super Bowl wins were, that third NFC Championship game the Cowboys lost at San Francisco was just horrific. <laughs> yeah, it, It's like, after you win two in a row can't imagine the gut punch of losing that third one especially with the coaching change to Barry Switzer and uh, the way that game started you know spotting the 49ers 21 points uh, late in the game uh, the Cowboys are attempting a comeback Aikman goes deep down the left sideline to Michael Irvin uh, Deion Sanders pretty obviously interferes with Irvin and to make matters worse, uh, Barry Switzer runs up and bumps, uh, I forget how he did it, maybe he bumped his belly into a, an official and got a 15-yard penalty on top of not completing the pass and not getting the interference call. So there were, people were so mad on so many levels, so frustrated. And uh, so, yeah, even though those were successful years, the, the downs were way worse <laughs> because the expectations were so high. Yeah, and you mentioned, of course, the, the change in coaching. Was the, the tension between Jerry and Jimmy visible in the Cowboys' uh, atmosphere? I don't know. You know, I wasn't in the locker room mm -hmm. uh, those years. I mean, I certainly spoke with a lot of folks who were... Um, you know, I, I've heard so many different accounts uh, from different people who were in the know and there's slightly different perceptions of how things were going. I mean, even uh, when, when the writing appeared to be on the wall, when Jerry Jones had uh, really been saying bad things uh, to media members about Jimmy, uh, you know, I think there were people in the organization who thought that the, the fences could still be mended, mm -hmm. and uh, but ultimately it didn't happen, and Jimmy moved on. Um, so yeah, I as far as the Cowboys go, I mean, uh, I, I work with Nate Newton here in the Cowboys organization. He does some podcasts for us, mm -hmm. and he, you know, Nate. It's funny. He said that. Uh, Barry Switzer came along at exactly the right time in his career <laughs> because Jimmy demanded so much and Nate was still good enough to play well, but he didn't mind not having, you know, a drill sergeant as a coach anymore. He loves Jimmy. I mm -hmm. mean, there's no, you know, Nate loves Jimmy, but he also loves Barry. And I think that goes for guys like Michael Irvin. It may not go for guys like Troy Aikman. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Troy Aikman helped run off. He tried his darndest to run Switzer off. Whether I think the win loss record finally got it done. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so you know, there were there were players with different opinions. But uh, Aikman was kind of a perfectionist. And, and when you're, the, you know, when you're the quarterback, uh, you know, football practice is a, is a different experience than other positions. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if Jimmy's out there cracking the whip, Aikman probably never felt it the same as some of the other guys. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, he's dropping back and throwing the ball. Other guys are running all over the place hitting people. So after the Super Bowl years, uh, uh, things kind of uh, hit hard times on the field, and uh, three consecutive five and eleven seasons, and then Jerry felt compelled to bring in Bill Parcells and actually bring in a guy who had basically the same kind of gravitas he does. Uh, it, it, can you explain how the yeah. Parcells uh, coming into the picture helped the Cowboys get their foundation back? Well, it was it, it, Parcel. It's interesting. I, I wasn't. I was still working for the flagship station outside when he first arrived. But I ended up getting uh, moving inside the organization his final year, the year that, that Romo flubbed the uh, field goal snap in Seattle. Mm-hmm. But so I would see Parcells in the hallways. I had conversations with him. Uh, he's he he is just an elite personality on so many levels. He's interesting. He's a conversationalist, uh, and he's a teacher. Uh, I mean, I was there. There were there were racquetball courts at Valley Ranch, and you know, a lot of us would go in there after hours and have tournaments and just play and and burn calories, you know. And uh, I was playing with the team uh, council one day. And Parcells came by and just, he watched us for a couple of minutes and then he just walks in and announces that he was some kind of a uh, racquetball, uh, I don't know, state champion or city champion back when he was like in high school and starts coaching us. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, that was kind of fun. And he coached just a little bit and then, then left, but, but yeah, as far as the Cowboys go, uh, there's no doubt he improved. he left them better than he found them. Mm-hmm. I think they were a little better than advertised when he arrived. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was famous for saying, "You are what you are." Yep. And he was referring to the record the previous year. But I think a lot of people saw that there still was talent on the team, and a guy like Parcells was able to coach that talent up get the talent to, uh, you know, maximize its potential. And then he started acquiring uh, free agent talent, and he started having more influence on the draft. Uh, Although you cannot, uh, you know, you can't 100% attribute everything to Parcells. I mean, he drafted Bobby Carpenter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jerry Jones is the person who insisted that they draft DeMarcus Ware first, and not Marcus Spears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers was dropping <laughs> <laughs> through that entire draft. Cowboys had two picks, uh, but they also all already had Romo at the time, and they didn't really think they needed a quarterback. But 
anyway, yeah, he he was a football guy, uh, and I think he just, you know, he I think he and Landry had been pretty good friends, Parcells and Landry. Yes, that's correct. Because of the Giants, yeah, because of the Giants connection, and uh, so Parcells had been around so many different people, uh, so many different great uh, football minds, and one of those, Pat Summerall, uh, who lived in Dallas, uh, and so Pat Summerall started showing up at Valley Ranch all the time, um, and I just think Jerry Jones was exposed to different ways of thinking about succeeding in the NFL. You know, Jimmy Johnson uh, put a new template out there, mm-hmm. and he changed the way defense was played um, in the NFL with the rotation on the defensive line by emphasizing speed at linebacker. Um, Jimmy had a lot to do with that, uh, but there were still there were still some nuggets of wisdom. I mean, plenty of nuggets of wisdom that Bill Parcells brought in and exposed Jerry Jones to. And so, you know, Jerry. I'm sure absorbs that like a sponge. I mean, he's a really smart guy, smart as a tack, um, sharp as a tack. <laughs> but but anyway, uh, yeah. So the, from every vantage point that I had during the Parcells years, uh, it was it was a pretty neat experience. Even though the the Super Bowl ultimately didn't happen. Yeah. So my next couple questions will will focus on Jerry Jones a little bit. Uh, Describe his impact beyond being the general manager. Uh, you know, Jerry Jones is also very, has done a lot of great things as a marketer. Yes. Yeah, and so one of the things I've noticed, I you know, I I haven't really discussed it with too many people, but but Jerry talks about it. He talks about how when he purchased the Cowboys. He basically had to gather in all his entire net worth and plunge it into the Cowboys. And he was going to continue to be a wealthy man based on whether the Cowboys were successful. Meanwhile, you've got a guy in Seattle who comes from Microsoft money. Um, I don't know. I assume he's the wealthiest owner in the NFL. He might not be, but he's got to be the top two or three. And so those got, those sorts of owners have all kinds of side businesses from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mark Cuban here in Dallas with the Mavericks. You know, he he had money uh, to spare when he purchased the Mavericks, I believe. So Jerry Jones, from the very beginning, has had every incentive to uh, grow the Cowboys and especially after winning those three Super Bowls, it gave him the marketing ammunition to, uh, you know, the you, you win those Super Bowls, the Internet takes off, uh, all kinds of things about the about mass communication in, in the United States change. And, yeah, Jerry Jones was, uh, you know, he, he he took he he took every advantage that he could, and that goes back to the Phil Knight Nike deal. Uh, it goes to building AT and T Stadium. Uh, it goes to where I'm sitting right now, the Star in Frisco. Um, 
you know. Uh, and, you know, there's he still is in the oil and gas business. You know, I don't know a lot about it, but, you know, there's still still stuff like that going on. He's just, he's all over the place. What do you think is the one intangible that makes Jerry what he is? I think, I think there's, I would think it's his thick skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, the, his thick skin leads him to, makes it easier. It's probably not, it's, it's can't be entirely easy, but it makes it easier for him to do what, uh, to really put into practice what Tex Schramm uh, preached, which was any, and many have, have said this, but any publicity is good publicity. And just keep yourself in, keep yourself in front of the public. And so he does that. It, it requires thick skin because sometimes it's negative uh, press that keeps you on, you know, on the front page of the newspaper or keeps you being discussed uh, locally and nationally. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't argue that he makes decisions, football decisions based on that, but I would say that, uh, it's been a, it's been a really nice coincidence that even when the Cowboys aren't winning Super Bowls, they've got personalities, they've got it. They've managed to have guys on the team like DeMarcus Ware, leading the team in sacks, even though the team wasn't that, I mean, leading the league in sacks, even when the team wasn't that great. Terrell Owens, you know, was just a lightning rod. And there were different, I mean, people had different opinions, but he had some of his best seasons with the Cowboys and was a, you know, a a highly visible athlete by any measure. Uh, for the Cowboys and kept the Cowboys in the spotlight. Tony Romo, um, a great barroom argument still. Mm-hmm. You know, how good is he? How good was he? Uh, Roy Williams, the safety from Oklahoma, was dating, I uh, forget her name, from Destiny's Child. That was, <laughs> I mean, that was an odd front page story. Emmett Smith wins Dancing with the Stars years after he's retired. There are so many, and, oh, and, and then the elephant in the room, Tony Romo, Troy Aikman, Moose Johnston, they're all, uh, and, and Jason Witten, they're all doing national television now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even when the Cowboys aren't the best uh, product on the field, they have many interesting aspects to them that keep the fan base interested and hopeful and I think Jerry understands that. Not like I said when I started this tangent. I don't know. I I would never presume that that's his strategy ahead of how good a football player is. But he likes to combine the two. I bet. Yeah. So, what do you think his legacy will ultimately be? Well, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, the, the three Super Bowls matter, the Hall of Fame, getting in the Hall of Fame. I think everybody was pretty careful about saying he's going in the Hall of Fame as an owner, not a GM. Uh, but as a GM, he hired Jimmy Johnson. And I, I forget the exact quote, but it was like when he hired Jimmy Johnson in that press conference, he said, look, Jimmy Johnson, in my opinion, is worth 
five first round draft picks or seven first round draft picks. I and I th- he was right. <laughs> you know, uh, they ultimately didn't get along uh, in in a working relationship. I think that you know, I think they're they're good personally, but uh, that's you know. So I think his legacy. I think he he does get uh, absolute. Absolutely, uh, he's able to legitimately claim, you know, a, a share of responsibility for the Super Bowls. And but yeah, the the way he grew the pie in the NFL is is what the the national audience will always remember him for. And uh, here locally, over the years, more and more people see why Jerry deserves more and more credit for the successes that have occurred and but the thing about the thing about it is no one in Dallas really takes anything away from Jimmy they just continue to appreciate Jerry more mm-hmm. they've always given Jimmy plenty of credit and they never have taken any of that back uh, but they just continue to give Jerry more and more because they keep seeing more and more sides of positive sides of what he continues to do for for the team and for the league. Well, and I also find it very interesting, too, because, you know, uh, Roger Staubach was from the Landry area, but he is definitely, you know, uh, one of the, uh, you know, guys that backs Jerry Jones. Uh, and I, will, and I yeah. find it very incredible, incredible as well that Gil Brandt has selected Jerry Jones to induct him into the Hall of Fame. And yeah, <laughs> that, that that to me speaks a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think you know it's things have have gone a really good direction. Uh, you know, a lot of I think a lot of former players weren't willing to say anything publicly, but they may have suspected that that Landry was might need to be replaced, but but they loved the guy especially after they weren't playing for him anymore. So many of them uh, considered him a father figure. Uh, but, you know, over the years, uh, a lot of the, the Tex, Gil Brandt, Landry generation of Cowboys personnel, front office people, they, you know, it, it's just been an easy transition to getting on Team Jerry. And the other thing is, you know, I'm in radio. I've been around some really talented radio personalities. And as you probably know, the, the, the really good radio people are, are also good sellers. Sometimes you want to take them to the, to the sales call right. uh, to, to, to bring home a deal. And Jerry's at that elite level. He's at, I mean, when you're in the room with him, he does. I've worked here for 12 years. I don't know if he knows my first name or not. He knows my face. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is a big place, uh, and in, in many ways, it's it's it it certainly feels like a family business. Um, but regardless of whether he knows my first name, if he sees me in the hallway, he's going to give me a very warm, pleasant hello. Um, if you end up in a, you know, in the elevator with him, or stuck somewhere in the building for five or ten minutes, he's going to talk to you. He's going to entertain you. Uh, 
uh, he's just that kind of guy. And that's why people <laughs> give them his, give the, him their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that he has that effect on people and that he can grow, uh, he's just going to keep growing the pie. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's, uh, so yeah, like I said, I, I've been around some really talented radio people and I, you know, I, I was fortunate to work with a guy who's in the National Radio Hall of Fame. And so many things about that guy and Jerry remind me of each other. They have a lot of the same personality traits that are just exceptional. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, um, by the way, since I, I you, you work with the, uh, the Cowboys Radio Network, um, I actually will uh, listen to the game on Sirius XM while I watch the game on TV. I've learned how to synchronize and do all that good stuff. Hey. <laughs> and, and, and so you're the guy that makes... That's awesome. Yeah, and so you're the guy that makes Brad Shim and made Bluffenberg sound so good. <laughs> um, occasionally. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm no longer in the booth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, when you listen to the open... To the to the broadcast, or if you hear promos on Sirius XM or whatever, I I put all that stuff together. Um, and uh, but you know, I grew up listening to Brad, um, and uh, Babe is is a terrific guy. I mean, he's like he's another one of those guys. I was saying, I was just talking about Jerry. When when you when you come when you end up in the same spot or in the same space with Dave Laufenberg, he's just going to start a conversation with you and he's going to find out things about you and he's going to start making you laugh. That's who he is. And, and, you know, Brad, he's, he's, uh, man, he, he, he lives and breathes football. When he calls a game, it feels like that's the way the, that's, this is exactly the way an NFL Sunday should feel like. He's uh, he's old school in that um, I think he's more Bob Costas like. He brings the cerebral uh, angle to the broadcast, but he doesn't uh, do it in a way that, that leaves anybody behind. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's not he's not talking down to anybody uh, for being a, for he, he handles the folksy. And the cerebral really well. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yes. I mean, you know, those, yeah. So I, I listen to every syllable of every game, and I have since you know 1980. Uh, and that's for Brad. That was Vern Lundquist. That was Dale Hansen, and now Babe Laufenberg. So yeah, uh, yeah. That's but I appreciate. That's cool that you uh, have your. A subscriber to something that allows you to hear those games. Yeah, I've been doing that since two. Really cool. Yeah, I've been doing that since two thousand four. And I think the, the the one thing I love about Brad and Babe is they're having a conversation, and we get to sit in on it. And <laughs> and, and even at the most critical points of the game, when you know, and I, and I am as diehard a fan as they come, and I'm you know just like all getting tensed up. One of them will say something just hysterical and. I relax. <laughs> <laughs> it brings you back. Yeah. Now, and I'll say this, you know, uh, Brad, and, and this is a thing, Brad, I, I, he used to say he got uh, equal amounts of hate mail and praise back when people mailed letters. Um, 
And he probably gets that on Twitter. He probably gets, you know, as far as people say, hey, you're, you're too much of a homer or you're way too critical. And that's the, the balance he wants to walk. He, he, he describes it as he calls an objective game from the Cowboys' perspective. Uh, but all that said, he's definitely a Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. And if, if things don't go well, uh, you know, he wants things to improve, you know, but but like you say, on the air, it stays folksy. Uh, you know, when they go to a commercial break, Brad and Babe may say some candid things about which player may, ought to be playing better, uh, but they don't expose a guy in an unfair way on the air ever. Mm-hmm. They may say something that's very fan-like off the air, and maybe a lot of fans would be relieved to hear it. But that's not how they want to do it when you know when they when when the lights are actually on. So uh, so no, I think it's good. I think the I think Cowboys fans are in really good hands. <laughs> no. Brad puts a lot of thought into taking care of uh, uh, of those games. Absolutely, Douglas Barraclo, manager, creative and commercial sound production for the Dallas Cowboys. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share your thoughts about the 30-year Jerry Jones era of owning the Dallas Cowboys. Thanks so much. Hey, you're welcome. Anytime. Thanks, man. And we he mentioned Jason Witten being in the broadcast booth. Well, that is no longer the future Hall of Fame tight end is coming out of retirement to rejoin the Dallas Cowboys. As a Cowboys fan, I am very, very excited to have 82 back on the field. Now, he got uh, roasted pretty good for doing Monday Night Football. He did not have the same impact Tony Romo did in his first year in the booth. Again, I think ESPN really botched it from every angle possible. And I guess now the bad news is that we're going to get even more Booger McFarland. Oy. Not looking forward to that. Well, I mentioned at the top of the podcast that uh, I got a little beat up on Twitter. I had tweeted that I thought Jim Beheim should not have coached against Duke on Saturday night after being involved in that that tragic accident that took uh, one life. Uh, it, you know, totally devastating, totally, totally heartbreaking. And immediately the the backlash hit. Okay, well, first, all you're just trying to do hot takes for your crappy podcast. All right, so I took a step back. All right, is this what I'm doing here? And I come to the conclusion of no, because if it was a hot take, I would have been doing that on Thursday. You know, two hours after the news broke about this tragedy. So I don't think it was that based on that. But I was wondering why nobody was asking the question or wondering, you you know, should he should he even be out here coaching? And the other pieces of, you know, people come back, well, you're just being judgy. You know, people grieve how they have to grieve. And my point was not about the grieving process. Look, I don't wish this upon anybody to have to be involved in an accident that takes somebody's life. I mean, that's it's it's terrible, and he will have to live with that, with that for the rest of his life. And I don't wish that upon anybody. But my point was not about grieving. 
To me, I was looking at the optics. Yes, that's the buzzword now. But I was looking at it from the bigger picture standpoint. What's the message here? To me, I think it comes off a little disrespectful to the family of the, of the, of the man that died. Because you're tell- this, this is how it looks to me. That Jim Beheim coaching two days after this incident, that beating Duke is more important than this man's life. That's where I was going with that. And I didn't engage, you know, I, you know, Twitter, you just delves into big, you know, tit for tats and gets messy. You know, you get plenty of people that just call you names because they don't like what you say. And that's, Definitely the, the 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 big downside of Twitter, but you're not going to convince anybody in 240 characters what your point of view is and get them to respect it for a lot of people. Yeah, I don't want to put everybody in that category because there are some reasonable people on Twitter who understand. So maybe next time that's one one of the things I I say for the podcast as opposed to putting it out on social media. But I am on social media, so I do hope you follow me, Jeff Allen underscore 88 on Twitter. And uh, you can always catch up uh, with all the podcasts at jeffallensportstalk.com. And you can subscribe, hit the subscribe button. You can find your favorite uh, platforms, Spotify, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And I definitely hope you like what you hear and want to continue to hear more of it. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog in the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.